Hello and welcome to our first Switzer TV property program for 2020. And on tonight's program, we'll be checking in with the Chief Economist of Domain to see whether we can really believe in this house price recovery, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. And we're also seeing some good signs in Brisbane as well. And then we'll talk to Tom Panos, who's been a long-term and long-time property expert and a consultant to News Corp and of course REA on what he's seeing in the markets in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, Brisbane and Canberra and whether we also can believe in what we're seeing in terms of this recovery, an unbelievable recovery in house prices. He'll also give us some uh, analysis on how you can pick a hotspot when it comes to real estate. And then finally Tim Slattery from APM Property Group will look at how you can invest for uh, income in property and particularly in areas like commercial and non-residential. That's the program for tonight. If you like this program, make sure you press the like button and sign up to become a subscriber. Uh, it goes out, as we say, on our, our Switzer Financial Group uh, YouTube channel and you can get that each week. We go out on Thursday nights. So without any further ado, let's go and talk to Trent Wiltshire, the Chief Economist at Domain. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good so, Trent, looking at some of the numbers from probably other data suppliers, uh, I think Sydney and Darwin were the only um, cities that actually experienced a fall in pr price last quarter. Um, I, I, I kind of understand Darwin. Darwin yeah. has been struggling for a long time, along with Perth. Yeah. But everyone's saying our oh, Sydney prices are going up. So, how do you reconcile yeah, that? Yeah, no, our, our, our data is definitely showing Sydney prices are rising and mm. rising rapidly. So, I've got the preliminary numbers from our December quarter, and that's mm. showing an almost 6% rise in yeah. the quarter yeah. for Sydney houses, mm. a bit less for units. Mm. Um, so, since March, the median Sydney house price up by about 11%. Mm. So, a big rebound in late 2019. And, and you're an economist. These, these could have been September quarter numbers. Yeah. And really, house prices didn't really start taking off again until yeah. we got past the election and the interest rate cuts started yeah, kicking. That's right. So our numbers sort of show it's a bottoming out in the March June sort of sorry yeah March June quarters, um, and then we've really seen them take off, mm. particularly in the last quarter in December quarter. Being an economist who's who is specialising in the housing sector, are you really surprised? how quickly the market has rebounded after how severe the price drop looked. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like the, re staggering, the rebound is it? remarkable. Like, I don't think anyone called the extent of that rebound. People yeah. were thinking that with rate cuts, with the election out of the way, yes, there could be a bit of a bounce, but yeah. not the sort a of... A moderate comeback. Not the 5% quarterly growth, potentially double-digit mm -hmm. sort of annual growth we might see in 2020, which yeah. you know, I'm saying that's it's not a good outcome, really. Yeah. Obviously, lower rates works through housing, mm. um, but ideally a, a modest rebound would have been good, not the yeah. extreme rebound we're seeing. But I guess when interest rates are so low that most borrowers now can get loans in, in the threes in the or the fours, yeah. it's, yeah. it's just, it's just, it means it, it's so rational that they go looking for house price, houses, but the prices are going to cut a lot of people out. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And I think it's not, the, not just the rate cuts, it's the expectation that rates will stay low as well. Mm. And the RBA really made that clear last year that we're cutting rates mm. and they're not going up for a while. And I think we'll see that for the next few years, that mm. yeah, there'll be mortgage rates in the threes. Yeah. In the twos, people sort of locking that in. And people are paying down debt quickly as well. So we see that in the credit growth data. It's not really growing quickly because people are paying off their loans 
you take advantage of these lower rates as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know whether you're, you're qualified to comment on this, but I'm sure you've come across the same stories that I've read, that even when we look at our household debt to GDP numbers, they are, there's no deductions for the fact that a lot of people are paying off their debt at a really fast rate and they've got this, these big offset accounts which effectively reduce their real debt to their own personal GDP. Yeah, I, I wrote something on th um, that last year, like looking at the, the headline number is very concerning, mm. 190% or so. The worst in the world, yeah. Steve Keane would tell you. Um, or second but yeah, the offset accounts mm. make that rise less extreme. Mm. Um, also, a lot of the run-up in debt is held by higher income, higher wealth households as well. Yeah. So the, definitely the headline number is more concerning than what the, the other mm. sort of more detailed numbers show. And I guess another contributing factor is that unemployment's not rising. It's kind of levelling off and could even sneak down if we get economic growth, particularly after the bushfires and all the spending that's going to come from government. Yeah, I think it will really depend on... We'll see how well rate cuts work mm. in terms of delivering lower unemployment and mm. higher inflation. That's what the RBA, they've mm. been holding their hands because they didn't want to cut rates to start another mm. house price boom. They've been forced to cut rates because they realised, you know, we need unemployment at four and a half, four 4% potentially to get inflation up, to get wages growth going. Mm. So unfortunately, it really is just working through the housing market. It's working through house prices. Yeah. That will have that wealth effect. It'll flow through to the rest of the economy. But mm. the consequence, the unfortunate consequence is a really seems to be a really fast run-up in prices, particularly yeah. in Sydney Melbourne, but other, other capital cities are looking to follow as well. Yeah. Uh, first home buyers made a fantastic recovery or come back to the market when house prices were falling. What's happening to first home buyers now? Yes, they've picked up sort of the same proportion as overall owner-occupiers. So you look mm. at the lending data, mm. um, overall owner-occupiers up by I think about 20% since May. Mm. Um, but first home buyers sort of similar proportion. So mm. it's not just first home buyers. But it's more of an owner-occupier story mm. rather yeah. than an investor-led recovery. Should, should make the, the, the left-wing critics of me on Twitter <laughs> more happy than they usually are. And, well, you see that in the, the consumer surveys as well. People, you know, people thinking time, now is a good time to buy. That shot up a lot yeah. as people's price expectations rose as well. People wanted to get mm. in before prices mm. started to rise too far. What's the effect been of the... Um, negativity around apartments because of cladding and the fact that some buildings are falling apart. Um, yeah. has, has it made them cheaper and has some first-hand buyers started looking at these apartments? I, you don't really see it in the aggregate numbers, no. from what I can tell. Like on our Melbourne units data, the units are at a record high, the median price. Mm. They've kept rising, really just a modest so first correction. So first-hand buyers couldn't afford them? <laughs> Potentially. Um, yeah. Uh, but in Sydney, you know, more of a dip, um, mm. but they've sort of rebounded as well. So, you know, in that aggregate numbers, in the median, the median number we report on mostly, don't really see it. Mm. I think it will shift some apartment buyers to you know, the better known developers, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, people are probably more wary and mm. do more research before buying. Mm. Um, but yeah, not a huge impact overall. Do you believe the predictions out there for Sydney and Melbourne, like 12 or 13 percent? price rises this year? I would have said no a couple of months ago, yeah. but given what's everything that's been going on, you know, home loan commitments shooting up, mm. interest rates falling, um, sentiments up, clearance rates have remained around 70%, mm. even with volumes picking up. Yeah, I, I can see double digits potentially mm. for Sydney, Melbourne. Yeah. As an economist, is, is the, the best way of um, reducing this 
galloping uh, price rises, increasing the supply of properties and reducing the number of migrants coming to the country? Definitely on the supply side, that's I've been an advocate for a while. Like We can see that working in the Sydney rental market. We've seen Sydney rents falling for the past year or two. That's really because of this massive um, construction, mm -hmm. apartment construction boom that's yeah. gone on. Yeah. That's worked through rents. Doesn't quite translate into prices so immediately because they're obviously driven by interest rates as well, not just mm -hmm. sort of supply and demand for, for people to live somewhere to live. Um, in terms of migration, um, population growth, yes, it's been very strong in particularly into the capital cities. So mm -hmm. Melbourne's sort of two and a half percent a year. That mm -hmm. uh, has an upward up, um, puts upward pressure on prices, no mm -hmm. doubt. But it's about that supply side. If we make the supply side more responsive, mm -hmm. when demand increases, we can build more housing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just saw today the, the Brisbane City Council banned townhouses in, in the established suburbs. Those sorts of policies mm. mean house prices will be higher than they should be, and mm. that, that hurts first-time buyers. Yeah. Have you ever done any work on how council obstructionism, if such a word exists, not a bad word, I might use it more <laughs> often, um, uh, is actually stop reducing the supply of properties that developers would like to put on the market, and that's part of the problem, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so I put out a, I worked on a report at the Grattan Institute, my, where I used to work, mm. and we had a, a couple of examples of where councils really used different tactics to try and delay development because mm. councils, um, you know, respond to their local voters yeah. and local, we know there's a lot of nimbyism, people don't want development in their suburb or yeah. in their street, they're happy for it, you know, the neighbouring suburb yeah. or the neighbouring yeah. council. Yeah, their kids can live there but not in there. Yeah, exactly, and, and councils respond to that yeah. sort of rationally and say, okay, we won't allow development if we can avoid it. So uh, I'm an advocate for, you know, state governments need to set targets yeah. um, and councils get rewarded for meeting targets, the carrots and sticks approach. The federal government can also play a role in encouraging zoning reform, planning reform, making uh, cities become, you know, increase their supply responsiveness. Mm. And I think that will help housing markets mm. across the country. Do you think a, a sort of like an outside the square solution to a lot of our housing problems would be to improve transport, for example, very fast trains um, that, you know, take people from country areas in the city pretty quickly and therefore people can move to the country? That, I think that would work if where we built the, the train sort of where they began, where if that was very responsive and you could build lots of houses quickly. But mm. actually in regional towns, it's not necessarily that much easier to say subdivide and build housing anyway. So mm. it may not, it might ease a bit of price pressure in some parts, but mm. you know, it sort of will spread out a little bit. Mm. That's not to, reason, not to say it's not a good reason to do it, mm. um, to potentially build better infrastructure um, connect those sort of mm. big satellite cities like Geelong and Wollongong and Newcastle, which yeah. they, is happening, mm. uh, but probably people would prefer that. Well, Trent, I'm, I'm kind of out of questions, but that, <laughs> my, my, my final question to you is, what is it that you've come across recently that you think people who are interested in the property market, mm. what are some of the, the big revelations that have come across your desk in the last few weeks? Yeah, I think I've, I saw the sort of debate going on with, about whether prices are actually rising mm. uh, late last year and mm. with REA and with CoreLogic and with yeah, our data yeah. and what's going on. And you know, our numbers clearly show it's a big rebound. Mm. Um, it's Sydney and Melbourne focused, but it is spreading to other capital cities. So. Perth has seen small quarterly rises. At long last. Yep, mm. two consecutive quarters, first time since 2013. Mm. Uh, Canberra's looking pretty strong. The Hobart boom looks like it's taken off again. Mm. Um, so it's clear that it's happening. In terms of within Sydney and Melbourne, 
um, it seems like the biggest price rises occurring at sort of the, the middle to more expensive end of the market, so mm. the, the one to $1.5 million range. Yeah. So it's not the premium end, but it's also not the bottom of the market, mm. but that's not unusual in a recovery. We typically see that sort of part of the market, particularly in Melbourne, mm. um, the top end of the market leads the overall market. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, faster price, price growth at the bottom end of the market next mm. year. Mm. So is there anything out there that you think could um, turn this price rise rebound on its ear? Yeah, I think the, the big one is uh, whether APRA, the banking regulator, gets involved and sort of tries to slow down lending. Mm. Um, and they've done, they did that in the past in the, the previous boom, but that was more, it wasn't aimed necessarily at slowing price growth, it was mm. aimed at reducing or slowing speculative lending. Yeah. Uh, we're not really seeing that in this rebound, so they would have to use different tools and different reasons if that was the case. Yeah. Uh, I think if the Reserve Bank changed its tune quite a lot and decided and said we're not lowering rates any further, that might have a bit of an impact as well, but I think you know another rate cut is almost certain this year, mm. and that will... Um, probably yeah, add further fuel to the fire. Yeah, the, the, well, on that subject, the bushfires in many ways might encourage the Reserve Bank to cut again just to keep the economy kicking Potentially, they, they might just, they tend to sort of look through the, the temporary things, but they were unprecedented bushfires, so right. it is really hard to know That's how right. much of an impact it's it will have. It's dangerous to uh, treat these bushfires as being a temporary thing, as the Prime Minister's found out. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, one last question, because you brought up APRA. Um, Part of APRA's decision was to try and curtail the, the buying of Australian properties by Chinese and Asian buyers. Uh, I don't think APRA ever admitted to that, but a hell of a lot of <coughs> lending organisations that were lending to Chinese you know, stopped doing so. Hmm. Um, are the, the Asian buyers coming back again, particularly after the Hong Kong problems? Uh, we, you can track where people in, or look at properties from. We are seeing a bit of a pickup in terms mm. of inquiries from overseas. Mm. Um, whether that continues, whether the rules push overseas, yeah. <laughs> and I think the dollar will have a big impact as well. So the yeah. rates get cut and the dollar sort of slides a bit further, mm. and that makes property look relatively more attractive. So that could be another factor. Yeah. I, don't think we'll, I don't think we'll see the same boom as we saw a few years ago, but yeah. I think it might pick up from the, the low point we saw recently. Yeah. Trent Wilshire, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's Trent Wilshire, Chief Economist at Domain. Well, my guest now is Tom Panos, who's a 30-odd year veteran of the real estate industry and is seen as, a, as an expert and as a real estate consultant to News Corp as well. And of course, um, REA and all those sorts of businesses. Yeah. Tom, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk to you because there are a lot of things going on in real estate and a, a lot of normal people who watch this program have lots of questions and they would love to sort of corner you at a dinner party and yeah. pester you around the subject they yeah. care most about, namely yeah. property. So the housing market recovery, A, has it surprised you how quickly it's come back and B, tell us what you think is happening in cities like Sydney and Melbourne. Um, so uh, question one, uh, Peter, has surprised me at the speed of the recovery. Like it seemed to have happened over a 10 week period. Mm. It was really clear. Um, it pretty much happened while I was overseas in Europe. Mm. I mean, I left around the 1st of June last year and I came back at the end of July. And all I can tell you, running my own auction business where I auctioned 10 or 12 properties every Saturday, I would drive up to an auction prior to the federal election and there would be one or sometimes no people registered. I get back from Europe, 
the first week, I pull up to a street in Newtown, I think it was uh, Wilson Street, Newtown, and the street was full of cars and the real estate agent said to me, Tom, this all happened over June, July. Buyers started coming through. And what has really surprised me is in most instances, particularly Sydney and Melbourne, the losses of 17 and 18 have been picked up between August and December 2019. So that's four or five months seem to have picked up the losses over a two-year period. Staggering. The property de demand in Sydney, um, is it going to be sustained, do you think? Look, I don't know 100%. All I can do is go based on data mm. and anecdotal evidence from real estate agents. And gut feeling from and the history feeling. of being at Correct. the coalface for a long time. Correct. Yeah. So here's what I can say to you. The amount of people going to open for inspections from January 2 to today has been the highest it's been in years. That's a positive sign. It means there's people looking. Yep. The second thing is there was a heap of stock, particularly in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Yep. And I was in Double Bay yesterday talking to most of the real estate agents. There was a heap of stock that hadn't sold over the last eight weeks. And what happened is since Christmas, this stock has been swallowed up and good money being paid for it. So there appears to be this appetite. Now, we're not gonna get a clear view on how robust and strong and sustainable it is because in Sydney and Melbourne, the auction um, capitals of real estate in Australia, what happens is after Australia Day is where the real action begins. In fact, the first big open for inspections happen pretty much Australia Day weekend. And then the auctions that occur on the 22nd of February is a large sample size that's gonna say to you, hey, this is 90% clearance rates. Mm. So the sample size at the moment is not high because very few people are going to auction at the moment. Yeah, so um, there was a, a reports uh, over most of last year, and a lot of the real estate agents were saying, we haven't got any stock. Yeah. Has the stock supply improved? Yes, it appears that coming back from Christmas, mm. two things. So. I don't just measure in my business the stock. I measure what is known as a market appraisal. Mm. A market appraisal, Peter, is, and you'd know it, but I'd explain it for the viewers, is the meeting a vendor has with an agent as they're putting their property on the market. Mm. So these things can actually be traced back to companies like CoreLogic and what have you. You can actually track um, how many appraisals have been taken place. There is large number of appraisals, which means there's a lot of people that are calling agents in mm. to say, what's my home worth? Most of these end up transpiring to become a listing on the market. And I can tell you, I had, look, I was talking to a guy in Double Bay yesterday, you know, um, uh, Paul Biller, he's told me he's got, you know, 12 things already signed up and ready up, up for auction. And that is like two or three times what he's had in previous years. Mm. It appears that stock levels are starting to increase. Okay. What about a city like Canberra and rentals? Because historically it's always been good for rentals. What's it like now? Okay, so in Canberra, again, another market that has probably fared better than Sydney, Melbourne during the, um, during the downturn. But if you speak to most real estate agents, they will say to you, we wish we had more homes to let 
we wish we had more mm. listings to sell. There is demand in that marketplace, mm. no question about it. It represents good value for money for what you get. Mm. And I guess property investors have done pretty well out of Canberra over time, haven't they? Yeah, property investors. Uh, Canberra's an interesting one because you actually get a reasonable yield and you get reasonable capital growth. Mm. In most markets across Australia, you don't get both. Mm. Like, hypothetically Newtown, mm. you'll get a terrible yield. It'll probably net you around 2% in residential net, mm. but you'll end up getting growths of around 10% a year. Then you go to other parts of Australia, you know, I don't know, Cairns or Townsville, you'll get yields of eight, 9%, but things just don't go up, you know? Mm. Um, so Canberra's an interesting one because it's on the higher end on, on, both, on both things. So if you've been a Canberra owner, you've done okay. Okay. A lot of people living in Sydney and Melbourne often buy rental properties on the Gold Coast, Brisbane and Sunshine Coast. What's happening there? Okay, so um, Brisbane's an interesting sub. Well, well, firstly, let me just say is it's far, those markets are far better for houses than mm. units, yeah. right? Because there are certain pockets, you know, Gold Coast example, where there is just multiple apartments there. And the demand and supply curve simply says that you know, if a buyer doesn't buy that unit, they can go buy another one. So it never puts a lot of pressure on prices to go up. Mm. Brisbane has been, you know, like Brisbane is the one place in Australia where you can guarantee there are more people moving into than leaving, mm. right? You know, the focus is there. That's mm. what's happening, you know. The uh, number of people going in far exceeds the number of people going out, and that's been a positive side. Sunshine Coast, again, is, is a bit of a discretionary area because Sunshine Coast money, example, Noosa, is highly linked to Sydney, Melbourne. If people in Sydney and Melbourne are doing good in their own real estate, if people in Sydney and Melbourne are picking up good bonuses for the works in mm. financial services or whatever industry, they seem to put money into that marketplace and it appears that Sunshine Coast is gonna benefit out of the increase in Sydney and Melbourne prices. Mm, okay. You are a Sydney boy, and I know yeah. but you take a, a national perspective. One of the big challenges for property last year was cladding and apartment blocks that were f cracking up. What's that had on the consumers out there? Are consumers wary about you know, um, buying apartments off the plan on the basis that they feel is a, it's a very risky area nowadays? It appears the media exposure on those properties that uh, have been impacted have actually painted that whole sector mm. in a negative light. And what we've seen is an increase of buyers looking at an Art Deco apartment or a property that may have been built, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. And they will choose that over a newer property purely for safety. Safety, you know, Peter, Safety is a big thing in real estate. People put a premium on safety, particularly when you're out laying seven, eight hundred grand. So you're seeing classic scenarios where you've got a newly built property, say in Ashfield, Summerhill. You can get a newly built property for eight hundred, yet someone will go pay nine hundred for the Art Deco same size unit. Mm. One of the reasons is. There's always an attraction with, you know, original features, charm, character. Mm. But the other reason is these things have tested 40, 50, 100 years of being there. Yeah. And people say if it's been there 100 years, it'll be there another 100 years, mm. where you mm. can't say that with some of the new projects. Okay, but you also understand markets. 
it's a hot issue today. Yeah. If there are no problems over the next five years, effectively are some of these new apartments great buying opportunity? They are, particularly if you're an investor, because uh, uh, the tax concessions that you get yeah. on new properties mm. is um, incredible. Mm. So I would say it's the classic scenario. It's having the courage to do what everyone else is not doing, yeah. right? And benefiting out of that. Because at the moment, you're actually going to buy at reasonable prices those new properties. And if you don't get caught up with buying one off a builder who has not done things properly, mm. and I'd say that most builders do things properly, yeah. right? So if you end up buying a property from a well-built builder with a good reputation, and you're buying something at a reasonable price, if you're an investor, you're picking up decent rent, you're picking up the tax concessions, depreciation, what have you, and um, you're also picking up a property that is probably going to be bought at a better value because of the negative media. Okay, Tom, I've asked a lot of questions I care about. Is there a, a, an important question up there that you get a, a lot of the times uh, and therefore you can give us the answer to that question? I don't know whether I can give you an answer that's going to be 100% correct, but I can give you the, 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 the question I'm always, the question I'm always asked by people is where's the next hotspot? Mm. You know, where can I, yeah. like, you know, Peter, you're sitting there, that's where, where should I, where should yeah. I buy? What's exactly. going to take yeah. off? Um, and I would, I would say, and my formula for me dealing with clients, but also my own strategy in my own life has been really simple. What matters to you more? Do you care more about having a property go up by hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, averaging it out over a 10 year period? Or do you care more about getting high rent? Because you would buy a different property for a different strategy. Yeah. So I'm 52 now, and I can tell you, my first 20 years of real estate, all I cared is about growth. All I cared was to buy a terrace in Newtown for 500 and in seven years to say it's worth a million bucks. I made that. I'm 52 now and I'm at the next phase of my life where I'm thinking to myself, hey, what's the point of being like 75, 80, having you know millions and millions of dollars of real estate where really I just want the income mm. so I can go off and holiday and choose to do things that I like. Mm. So all of a sudden, yield becomes more important to me. And residential um, is, you know, in good areas that got capital growth, it's only gonna give you about 2%. So I think question number one, getting back to you, answer your question, you've gotta find out what matters to you more. If capital growth is the answer, I would say you cannot go wrong buying houses as close as possible to the city centre. You can't, you can't, you can't afford Newtown. Mm. Go to Enmore. Mm. You can't afford Enmore. Go next the, west. Go to Marrickville. You can't afford Marrickville. The ripple effect. Your ripple effect. Yeah, so what you sure. do is you pick the suburb next to the suburb that's taken off. Mm. If this suburb hasn't taken off yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we bought in Pennington in 1979. Because no one wanted to live in Paddington in those days, but Bondi Junction, Waverley, Double Bay, uh, those sort of suburbs were where people wanted to live, and we couldn't afford it, so you, we went to the next suburb. You've kept Paddington? Mm. Yeah, we yeah. have. You've done well. Yeah. All right, so one last thing then, uh, for yield, what's the, the, the favoured suburb for yield? Yield, 
Um, I do like outside of I, I do like outside of uh, Sydney and, and Melbourne. Mm. I like I do like Brisbane. You get reasonable yields in Brisbane, yeah. um, and you also get reasonable yields in suburbs that are in Sydney and Melbourne. But uh, I'll give you an example: St Mary's. Mm. You go off and here's an example of Penrith Way. Penrith Way. You buy yourself a property, a duplex site. So it's a house, you rent it out, you buy it for five, 550. You rent it out, you probably get $500 a week. Mm. It's a duplex site, which means at some point down the track, you can knock that house down and build two on there. So what you're doing is you're buying something that's giving you a reasonable yield, mm. like 500 bucks a week for something that you're gonna pay 550. And you've also got that option down the track to say, I'm gonna knock this down and put another duplex on and I'm gonna have two properties on there, but what a lot of people are doing, Peter, is that they're building granny flats in the back of these houses, mm. and it'll cost you about 110 grand, 120 grand to build a granny flat, mm. and you'll get another set of income coming in. So they're the, they're the things that you know people with yield, and of course, if you've got a high appetite for risk, and you don't mind it, you start looking at commercial property, you start looking, at, there's been a heap of service stations, um, 7-Eleven servos mm. that got sold late last year. There was about 30 of them sold. They all sold at yields at around 5% net, mm. right? Mm. Um, um, they're, they're pretty good. They had long leases. They went to 2030, 2035. So, yeah. you you know, rent them Better out. than term deposits. They are better than term deposits. They are better term deposits. But you know, there's a there's a group of there's a group of people that uh, Peter have lost a lot of money because they've had money sitting in term deposits for 15 years. Yeah, exactly right, mate. Good to talk to you. Thanks a lot. That's Tom Panos. Tim Slattery, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Peter. Great to be here. All right, now, I think a lot of people have heard of the, the name APM Property Group, but people who aren't experts in that part of the property market would be, would be keen for you to explain what does the company actually do? So, Peter, we're, we're a specialist real estate investment manager. Uh, that means that all we look after is commercial property investments across Australia. Uh, we invest principally to give investors in our products access to the commercial property rental income streams that, that you can generate from those, those investments. So we've been in business for about 20 years. That's all, we've, uh, that's all we've done since we started out and that's all we do today. Okay, so tell us about the products that people can access. I'm, I'm gonna get you to give us your view on commercial property going forward, but I think I want people to understand precisely what your business does. So if someone wanted to say after you know, they, they, they read all the disclosure documents and whatever, they want to play ball with you guys, what are the kinds of products they can play ball with you with? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, the short answer is there's really two, uh, to use your analogy, there's, there's really two, two games. So the, the, first, the first opportunity is that we have 12 different commercial property funds um, that are available for investment. They've got a range of minimum investments from sort of $1,000 right up to you know, multi-million dollar investments from some of Australia's largest institutional investors. Um, and there are listed uh, property funds as well as direct property funds 
Um, there's a range of asset classes. So we have funds that invest in, in convenience retail, so service station portfolios with, with long leases to the likes of um, Woolworths, 7-Eleven, those sorts of businesses. We have in, an industrial property fund that will own a, a portfolio of warehouses, um, least of the sorts of businesses that are active um, with online retailers and the distribution of goods between uh, the various retailers and consumers. Uh, and then we also have funds that will um, take a more active management approach in, say, the office space where we'll have a, a building benefit from some um, capital expenditure to upgrade the facilities to improve its occupancy levels and those sorts of things. So all of those funds um, will offer people uh, distribution yields, so cash distribution yields of between sort of 4.8% up to sort of 7%. Uh, and um, there's a range of different strategies there. So that that's one, I guess, one way to participate. The other way investors can participate is that our, our management company is also available for investment. So we're listed on the ASX. Um, the code for the company is APD. And we basically do two things. The first thing we do is provide management services um, for which we receive fees for managing those funds. And the second thing is we also invest our own money in those funds. So there's really two different ways that investors can, uh, can participate with us. Yeah, so if, if you wanted to bet that uh, all of your funds and other investable products would do well, you could tap into the, the listed vehicle, Correct. which should be APD, yep. APD. Uh, or if you wanted to drill down into specific kinds of investments, like if you believe that the online world is going to be great for warehouses, they, they could go into a, a fund that specialises in providing money to the, the warehousing sector uh, in the industrial yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. That, that, that's a very um, good, simple summary of the two ways to, to play it. Okay, well, I'll charge you for that little uh, explanation because <laughs> it was very good, i got to say. <laughs> Just joking, Tim, of course. All right, so um, where does APN Property Group come from? What's the history of so, it? So uh, APN started out in 1996 and it really had its roots as a property a builder and a property developer. So, you know, we've got, a, I guess, a long-standing view that property is one of those asset classes that you need to, to get very, um, I guess, very much down and dirty with the assets and close to the investments that you're looking after. So, you know, understanding construction costs, land values, the ins and outs of leasing is, is very much where, where APN comes from. And I guess that real estate DNA is still something that we value very highly uh, today. So the, the, the business basically had its background as a developer and a builder, um, but now really all that we do is uh, invest on behalf of our investors into commercial real estate. Yeah, now in the age of very low term deposits, lots of investors are looking for income in alternative spaces. And I think I saw you provide a chart at one of your conferences that basically showed that, you know, income-wise it's fairly stable, but, you know, for example, with the, the listed product, I guess, that one can be affected by the market. Is there, a, is there an emphasis in your group to try and be a deliverer of income? Yeah, look, that, that, definitely. That's a central way that we, we, we invest. So we we very much focus on um, the sustainable cash flows that are available from any particular investment. And that's true whether an investor is investing with us in a single property for, say, a five-year fixed-term 
uh, sort of strategy or, or whether the, one of the listed funds that is available for uh, application or redemption or you're trading on the ASX on any given um, day of the week. So the central uh, idea is investing for long-term sustainable cash flows, which uh, we, uh, we're obviously trying to grow over over time. And then within that, there's really a range of options for people. Um, as you say, you know, some investors would like the idea of being able to access their capital um, as and when they see fit through the listed market or our our funds that have daily liquidity. And then others, I think, are, you know, are preferring to sort of make an investment for five um, plus years to, to see, I guess, see an investment through, um, through a particular strategy. Mm. Do you have an opportunity to, for investors to invest in a specific product, a, company, oh, sorry, a specific building where you actually nominate the building, uh, investors pool their money and, and they become effectively part owners of a building? Yeah, absolutely. We, we have three or four uh, funds that do exactly that, um, that, are, that are in existence today. So as an example, we have a fund which is called the APN Regional Property Fund. It owns two office buildings based in Newcastle, so two hours drive north of Sydney. Um, we have um, government property in New South Wales, so the New South Wales government, government as, a, as a major tenant. Um, they offer a, a, a distribution yield of about 7.1% per annum um, with gearing of around 40%, so that's debt to the value of the assets. But that fund just owns those two office buildings um, and will own them till the fund is due to expire and we'll, we'll liquidate the fund in 2024. So that is a fixed term, single uh, property fund that's designed to do exactly that. And so in that case, do people get um, distributions along the way, like the, rece the receipt from the rents effectively, and then eventually do you sell the building as a capital gain, you divvy that up amongst the owners? Yeah, as that, well? that's exactly right. So. It's really what we're doing is providing investors with an opportunity that they wouldn't ha they wouldn't be able to access by themselves. You know, buying a fifty-five million dollar office building for a lot of investors is just just out of reach. But buying a small slice yeah. of it, buying a unit in the trust that owns it, and and we'll look after finding the property, looking after it, hopefully um, growing the rents, and hopefully selling it a profit on behalf of those investors is really what. Um, our products are, are designed to do. So you're exactly right. Investors get the income along the way and they'll get whatever um, upside capital growth or, you know, if, if something's happened over the, the journey, if it, you know, things go down as well as up, um, you know, that, that will be their, um, their results as well. But we, um, it, it's, it's really you own a small part of that, that office building and that fund. And, and are there opportunities in case you needed to get out for personal reasons? that you can get out of these sort yeah, look, of Yeah, it, look, it just depends really on exactly which fund. So a lot of the funds have liquidity um, uh, measures in them. Some of them have daily liquidity. Some of them are traded on the ASX. Um, others have liquidity windows, um, but some are fixed term um, funds. So you really need to sort of make sure that you, you're clear about what you want to do. Some funds do really yep. have um, limited liquidity other than, you know, the ability to sell it to someone else. But obviously that's, um, that's a less commonly used approach. Yeah, okay, fine. So basically, people should read the, the disclosure documents to make sure it suits their investment uh, yeah, goals. Um, so so uh, 2020, look, what's it looking like for commercial property? Yeah, look, I mean, we, we think, I mean, it's been a great few years already. So I think people are right to sort of ask that question, you know, how, how much, you know, how much more growth could we expect to see? Are there risks on the horizon? 
uh, our view is still that we expect uh, low interest rates across the board to continue throughout uh, 2020 and and we think that provides an excellent um, I guess sort of foundation for um, for good returns in commercial real estate throughout next year um, we think if you can buy a commercial uh, property investment that's sort of yearing five six seven uh, percent uh, you're buying a you know you're buying real assets so you, you know you, ha you have a physical asset that's supporting your investment we think that compares pretty well compared to the other options available in the market. So I think with anything, you also, you know, as a profit investor, you've got to look at exactly what you're buying. You know, there are differences in different markets. Uh, clearly, you know, some markets are more affected by, I don't know, the uh, exposure to the resources sector or, or um, you know, in Melbourne, Sydney, the, the financial sector, um, different areas of population growth, depending on what it is. Um, retail, so, you know, you need, to, you need to look at exactly which sort of, um, assets you're buying but we still we still think that um, online retail and the growth in demand for um, logistics and warehousing warehousing properties will stay strong through um, 2020 we also think there's value emerging in some of the shopping centers that have obviously um, you know been uh, been affected by the growth in online sales but they're reinventing themselves and like everything it really depends on buying well and we think there's value emerging in, in some of those parts of the market too so be uh, but we think overall, yeah, that the sector is still well positioned. And I, I would figure that if the uh, Aussie economy over 2020 starts growing more strongly, that would also give a, a bit of a foundation to many of those commercial building investments you're in. And if that's right, and I presume you guys then would be looking around for, for your most reliable forecasters on what's going to happen in the Aussie economy. What are, you guys being, what are you guys being told by the people who you rely on for the outlook for the economy and therefore your investments? Yeah, yeah look, uh, I think, I mean, very in a big, big picture view, I mean, we, we see a fair bit of strength emerging offshore in the US, um, but it's a bit of a different story in Australia. So, you know, fantastic country uh, to live in and, and, and all those things. But from an economic perspective, we still see, well, we, you know, we're at, you know, re you know, relatively high levels of employment. Um, there's still not a lot of wage growth, not a lot of productivity growth. You know, you've seen the sort of federal um, budget update. So clearly some, some pressure points there. We still think that that means that we will see low interest rates. Yeah, you're right. If we do see growth, one of the great things about um, property is that, you know, we should, should see rental growth coming through if we do see a pickup in inflation and, and growth. But um, I think for 2020, our view would be rates stay relatively low and um, we don't see a huge amount of growth. But you know, also, um, you know, we, we still think there's probably pretty good demand for, for commercial real estate assets that are, are offering a decent investment yield. Okay, one last question. Is there any question you think I should have asked you that would actually explain to, to my viewers you know, anything they, they need to know about uh, APN? Oh, look, I, I, think, I think, you know, really just what our, I guess what our, what our track record has, has been. We, you know, we spend a, a huge amount of time on our, our governance and making sure that we, uh, we're a great company to invest in. We actually have a, a long-term view, I think, um, a lot of companies say that they have a long-term view, but we, we, we absolutely mean it. We've got a lot of our own capital invested skin in the game with, with our investors in the funds and with the investors in, in the company. So um, we think that standards in good stead and um, yeah, we, we're, all, we're all aligned. So uh, yeah, we think that the future is bright, but I think that's a key point of difference for our, 
our business when, when people are thinking about where, uh, where to put their money. Tim Slattery, thanks, thanks for joining Thanks very much, Peter.